Hey, and welcome to the Crosspoint Church Podcast. We are a church that is for the city in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. We are passionate about helping people become fully devoted followers of Jesus. So if you're just joining us for the first time, we would love for you to check out our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca. There you can find ways to connect with us and see what's happening at Crosspoint. Now, let's listen to this week's Sunday message. has been working to reunite his people, one family at a time. It started with Abraham. God separated him from the ruler's side. Through the Jews, all people would unite. And all throughout biblical history, God was working out this mystery of how he would end hostility toward the divine through this one family. That is the message Paul wrote from prison to the Ephesians, which was desperately needed. A couple of things. Whoa, that's hot. Am I really loud? It sounds loud. If we can just dial the sound down a bit, that would be great. I'll feel more comfortable with myself. Uh, a couple of things. Uh, first of all, uh, with the laughing all the way, it isn't just entertainment. There is also going to be dessert at the beginning, and so it is a bit of a date night kind of environment. So I encourage you to come. At 6 o'clock, there will be dessert served and so on, and then we'll move here into this space uh, for the uh, entertainment part of it. So it's a full evening. I encourage you to be a part of that. Also, I want to encourage you to be praying for the search and discernment team. Uh, we met last week and uh, started reviewing uh, resumes, and we are going to be interviewing a couple of those people uh, this Thursday evening. And so be praying for us that we would have wisdom and discernment, and uh, there would be clarity around that, and also clarity for the uh, ones that are going to be interviewed, that they would speak uh, from their heart and uh, with the clarity so we would come to understand and know them a little bit better. So those are two things. This morning I want to <coughs> start us off uh, Ephesians chapter 4, uh, the first four verses, uh, but I really want to catch just the first phrase because <coughs> this is uh, the phrase, Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Did you know that? that you've been called by God, and that there's an expectation in that calling of a certain lifestyle and so on. Just to give you a bit of a background <coughs> on this, uh, we are actually going to slip back into chapter 2, catch a couple of scriptures there, and sort of build a foundation of your calling. So if you remember, back in the beginning, we talked a little bit about the roots of Ephesus in this church. Uh, Paul ended up going there. It's in Asia Minor, just south of uh, Istanbul, around the corner there. And uh, in those days, it was a fairly significant city. And Paul arrived, and there was this group of people praying. And he went and talked to them. There was 12 men, actually. And they were praying down by the water. And as he talks to them, he finds out that they really hadn't understood the, life or the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he talked to them, and he baptized them in the name of Jesus. And then out of that experience, the church got established. He spent about three months. That group was primarily Jewish. And he spent about three months 
in the synagogue teaching, speaking about the gospel. And uh, the synagogue was fairly narrow-minded, and they resisted Paul. And so in that, Paul stepped out, he took those who were believers from amongst that group, and he went to uh, a public hall in Ephesus, and then he spent another two years there. And so it's quite clear from the uh, early writings that Ephesus was a place where the church had Jewish people and Gentile people together in it. If you look in chapter 2, you know, there's going to be there shortly. In chapter 2, starting at verse 14, Paul, in this chapter, was talking about how the church was established. You see, it says in uh, 2, starting 14, For Christ himself brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles as one people when in his own body on the cross he broke down the wall of hostility that separates us. Not only that, he did this by ending the system of the law with its commands and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people. From the two groups, together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross and our hostilities towards each other were put to death. And that's really what the communion table is about that we served, uh, participated in this morning. It's this reality that God is in the world reconciling people to one another. Where, very back in the beginning when Brendan spoke out of the first chapter, he talked about the fact that the purpose was to bring all things together under Christ. There's a unity that God wants to see established in our world. And that unity is between people between Jewish people and all the rest of us. In this day and age, we really don't make that distinction between Jews and the rest of us anymore. If we're followers of Christ, we're followers of Christ. But in the context of our culture and our world today, there are all kinds of other divisions, aren't there? There's divisions of people who are progressive and there are conservatives. You wanna know something? God wants to unite them. He wants to bring them together. There's people that are feminists, and there's those that aren't. He wants to bring them together. He wants to bring all people together. There's people that are in conflict, Russians and Ukrainians. He wants to bring them together. He wants to bring unity. There's lots of opportunities for division in our world, aren't there? But in Jesus Christ, all those things were wrapped up and set on the cross. You see, Jesus lived a perfect life. He was tempted in every way like we are. Think about all the way you're tempted. Jesus experienced some kind of temptation equivalent to what you've experienced. And yet it says he did it without sin. He faced the temptation and he realized the right way to act and he stepped back from it. And because he was the spotless lamb of God, he was able to take the punishment for all of us. And in taking the punishment for all of us, he liberated us. How did he do that? What does that liberation look like? I'll tell you what it looks like. It looks like the fact that <clears throat> the laws and commands no longer control your life. Oh, you say, that can't be. But it is true. You see, it is a temptation for us, 
even as followers of Christ, to make a list of rules that says this is the way a Christian lives. Back when I was growing up, <coughs> this is a funny story for some of you. When I was growing up, we had dance class at part of phys ed. I was in grade nine, and dance class was coming up. And in the particular group of believers that I was a part of, dancing was verboten. We were not allowed to dance. So I told my dad about this, and he says, no problem. He wrote a letter, a little note, and I, had to, I got to sit out of dance class. So if you ever see me try to dance, you'll understand what I missed. But it was one of the rules. I can remember feeling guilty the first time I went into a movie theater because the rule is Christians don't go to movies. Fortunately, I missed the part about Christians don't bowl. There used to be a time when the church believed that bowling was sinful. And the result is, is that we live by these rules. Well, you know what? There's still a certain element of rules in our lives. Why? Because rules define what is good behavior and bad behavior. And it's easy to obey a rule. But God doesn't want you to live that way. God wants you to live in freedom. And so when Jesus died on the cross, he paid the price for all of our sins. Every sin you have ever committed has already been paid for. It's taken care of. But what that does is it liberates us because when we acknowledge that, when we receive that, when we embrace that truth, the only thing that matters now is that we're, we're in relationship with Jesus Christ and what he wants for us to do is the thing that guides our lives. It's his will being born in me. And so when it says that he broke down the wall of division or hostility between Jews and Gentiles, he's breaking down those walls between Jewish people and Palestinians. And we need to be praying. Praying for the Christians in Israel and the Christians among the Palestinians because they are the only hope in that situation. They're the ones that God is working in the, such a way that they are starting to show the world around them, the immediate world around them, what it means to walk together. And that's true in our lives. Jesus set us free from our sin, from the guilt of our sin, so that we could choose to walk a different way. Not following laws, but following the heart of the Father. Allowing love to guide and direct our steps. And that's why we talk about listening to God, coming together and praying and inviting God to be a part of our lives. Why? In those requests, we also are saying, Lord, speak to me. Guide me. Help me understand. So when we get down to the end of this chapter, chapter uh, 2, and starting at verse 19, it goes on a little farther. Because, you see, when he breaks down the middle wall of partition, he allows us to come together in a fresh way. And I got to say, I just want to go back to the communion. When Delaney talked about the communion and some of the characteristics of it, coming to the table is coming to Jesus and saying, Lord, I don't want 
the barriers between me and whoever to interfere in my life. I want to put it aside. And so when she talks about the table being a place of repentance, it's really a place where sometimes God can speak to us and say, what about that relationship? How are you doing with that person? Near the end of my dad's life, he was uh, somewhat difficult sometimes. He was an opinionated man throughout his life, uh, but he was always willing to listen to other people's opinion. So he was opinionated, but he was also open to conversation. And I learned lots from him. But near the end of his life, <coughs> he lost perspective. And I can remember him having said some pretty hurtful things to me and to my family in that time. And coming to the communion was a time where God would say, what about your dad? You see, Jesus wants our relationships to be whole, healed. And when there's things between us that hinder us from entering into fellowship with each other, he actually wants us to acknowledge that and take steps to correct that. And so, as we take a look in verse 19, he goes on to say, So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together we are his house, built on the foundation of apostles and prophets, and the cornerstone is Jesus Christ himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. And through him, you Gentiles also are being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. And this is really the calling that we have. We are citizens. Not only that, but we have been made members of his family. Not only that, but we are being built together as a holy temple, a place where God can live. And as our unity grows, as our the walls between us start to separate, we start to have a sense of God's presence amongst us because we can bump up against each other and not be offended, but rather we can bump up against each other to be close, to hear God speaking through us as a group. I just want to go back to the line where it says that we are built on the apostles and prophets with Jesus as the chief cornerstone. <clears throat> In the... Uh, the days of Jesus, when they built any building, the first stone and that kind of construction was the cornerstone. And it was very important because that cornerstone was set at the most vulnerable place in the building. It was set to be the foundation that everything was going to be built off of. And so depending on where it was, if the contours of the land were such, the lowest spot was usually the place where the greatest weight would have to be because the building was highest in that area. And so they would put the cornerstone there. That cornerstone also had another important thing. Not only was it a fir firm foundation and foundation, uh, the basis of the foundation, but also it depended on the cornerstone for the orientation of the building because everything was built off of that. And so if the cornerstone wasn't perfectly square, you, know, you would have crooked walls. If you wanted it to be orientated towards the east, which was common in those, that culture in those days, then it had to be set in a very specific way so that when the building was constructed, it was facing in the right direction. See, 
the apostles and prophets give us the details of who God is. They're the ones, the prophets is really referring to the Old Testament. You have the former prophets, which is the historic books like Samuel, 2 Kings, Chronicles. Those are considered the former prophets. And then the latter prophets were Isaiah, Jeremiah, and so on. And those books really taught or teach us about who God is and how he works amongst us. The apostles, well, all of the New Testament canon is in some way rooted and foundationed on the apostles. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Now you say, oh, hold on, only two of those are apostles, Matthew and John. But the reality is, is that Luke was rooted in Paul's ministry and Peter's ministry. And Mark was the same. These were men who had either were apostles or directly related to apostles. The other ones are books like the book of James. James was not an apostle, but he was the brother of Jesus. You see, you have this foundation of Jesus Christ and the testimony of Jesus in the apostles. And so you have the Old Testament and the New Testament, and what holds them all together? Jesus Christ. Everything is built around that. And that's why we are a Christocentric congregation. Christ is at the center of what we believe. The denomination is Christocentric. We believe that Jesus is our Savior, our Sanctifier, our Healer, and our coming King. And this is the foundation on which we build our faith. So, not only are you citizens of heaven, you are part of the family of God. And as a part of the family of God, you are being built together. And this is your calling. Your calling is to belong to the kingdom of God. Your calling is to be a functional member in the family of God. Every part of the family needs to have a task. I remember when I was growing up, we had five kids, mom and dad and five kids, and all of us had a job. Well, maybe my little, my baby sister, she's 13 years younger than me, she got away with a lot more. But the reality is, is that as she grew, she came, became the best baker in the crowd. And so she makes delicious desserts. But the reality is we all had parts to play. And that's what it is about family. We are knitted together, working together to fulfill something that's whole. And then finally, as we are knitted together, as a unity grows amongst us, God's presence becomes more intense. He lives amongst us. Now let's take a look then. We've stayed there. Are we back on Ephesians 2? Man, I better follow my track. So your calling is to the kingdom of God. Your calling is to the family of God. And your calling is to be a temple for God. So, therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Father, or serve, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. And so these next few verses are really about what it means to be living in a way that God wants you to live. So, verse 2. 
This is for us in the family. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. You see, Paul, when he was writing the book of Ephesians, this first section that we've been studying really is setting up the rest of the book in terms of how God builds his church, or Jesus builds his church, really. And this is the transition section. And so he is saying, if you want to be a part of the family of God, if you want to be a citizen in the kingdom of God, if you want to be part of the temple, it starts off with us being humble and gentle, patient with each other, making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. Is there somebody in the congregation that irritates you? Well, according to this, you're supposed to be patient with each other because of love. Make space for them. That's one of the things I like about Crosspoint. It's this sense of welcome and this sense of connecting with each other. Often at the end of the service, someone will say, read the benediction and speak the benediction, and then they'll say, go out into the foyer and talk to someone who's not like you. It's all about us connecting with each other. Goes a little bit farther, though, verse 3. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together in peace. Binding yourselves together in peace. See, this is something that we need to think about and figure out how to practice on an ongoing basis. Not only is it about being humble, patient, but it's about this active pursuing, knowing each other, active pursuing a peaceful relationship. Again, I refer to the communion. That's what it's about. It's about bringing us together in the presence of Jesus. I can remember uh, uh, we had a, a group of pastors from a number of cities come together in central Saskatchewan. And uh, the person who was leading us in the communion that day, he said, you know, this is the Lord's table. It doesn't belong to the Catholic Church. It doesn't belong to the Alliance Church. It doesn't belong to the Baptist Church. It doesn't belong to a Pentecostal or Anglican or any other church. It belongs to the Lord. And when you come to this table... You're not just coming to a table. You're coming to the Lord's presence because we are all here because of him. And so as you come, are you aware of anything that would break the peace amongst you? And as you come, are you aware that you are inviting Jesus to work in that situation? To minister to you and to shape you. I can't take communion anymore without this conscious awareness that I am receiving Jesus when I take the bread and I drink the cup. How about you? Are you aware of the recommitment of your life to Christ in the moment when you're taking communion? That's what it means about the bond of peace. It's that sense that God, the Prince of Peace in Jesus, wants something more from us. And that more has to do with us continually working towards a healthy, whole, enriching relationship with each other. 
And if there's something in, the, in your heart towards anyone else in the body of Christ, the communion table is the place where it should rise to the surface. Where you come before him and you say, Lord, I, I am committed to your purposes and intentions for the church of Jesus Christ, for your church. And what do I need to do to be able to receive you in your fullness so that you can be expressed more fully amongst us? And then verse 4. For there is one body, one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. The glorious hope is the unity of the church. The glorious hope is the fact that we come together in such a way that when we enter into heaven together, in some ways we're being received as the bride of Christ, holy and pure. We'll see that in chapter 5, that there is an expectation that we will be completely united and working together, intentionally together to serve the Lord. And that's what he longs for today amongst us. So verse 5. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and in all and living through all. This element of Christ at the center, God present with us all the time, is the very core of what holds us together as the people of God. And it is also the very core that shapes us in terms of ministry. Starting in January, we'll continue in the book of Ephesians. So this is the foundation that leads us into what's to follow. And this idea that there is one faith, or one Lord, one faith, one baptism. One Lord, that's Jesus Christ. One faith, that is our relationship with God. doesn't matter who you are, our relationship with God and Jesus Christ is the same. It's rooted in the fact that he died on a cross for us, paid the price for our sins, and broke down the middle wall of division so that we could be one in purpose and intention. One baptism? Well, this isn't water baptism. This is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The pouring out of the Spirit upon us as people of God. We all have the same resources. We all have the same access to the Father, to Jesus, to the work of the Spirit. So one God and Father of all. He's over all. He's in all. And He lives through all. When we allow Him to be present in us, it causes us to live out the gospel causes us to be the people of God. So your calling is that you are part of his kingdom. Not only that, you're closer to that, you're in his family. And not only that, but you're in the very presence of God in his temple. <clears throat> As a uh, search and discernment team, looking ahead and trying to decide what kind of pastor is to come. We created a profile, a pastoral profile. For those of you who are newer in the church, uh, that pastoral profile is available on the website, and so I'd encourage you to read that if you want to find out what kind of pastor we're looking for. 
But that was just a tool to give us a sense of our sort of define the kind of pastor we wanted. It came out of our um, interviews that we did, getting to know you as a community of faith. It came out of our history wall where we started to understand the DNA of cross points. Then it came out of our visioning process where we got a sense of the heart of the people for the future and where it would go. We developed a vision statement out of all that. And these are the very things that we're using to sort of give us a focus in terms of the pastor we're looking for. But one of the things that happens is we all have opinions. You know, the Jewish uh, community has this interesting thing. You know, you put six Jews in a community or in a conversation, and you'll come up with 10 to 20 opinions. That's true for all of us. It's not just the Jewish people. I have Mennonite heritage. I've seen that happen in the Mennonite world. My wife has Dutch heritage. I've seen it happen in that world. You've probably seen it in your world. And so there is an important thing that we've instructed the um, search and discernment team in. And I think it's true for all of us. Because you see, the thing that divides us most often is our different opinions. I can bring up a really sensitive topic like COVID, for example, and uh, everybody's hackles goes up in a different way. But the reality is God calls us to set all those opinions aside. And so it's called the prayer of indifference. This comes out of the work of uh, Ruth Haley Barton, but I think it's a powerful tool to help us focus on what God is asking us to do. So the prayer of indifference, in this prayer, we ask God to make us indifferent to anything but the will of God relative to the matter we are gathered to discern. You catch that? At the beginning of any leadership discernment process, it is good to be reminded to ask for the grace to be indifferent to matters of ego, prestige, organizational politics, personal opinion, personal advantage, personal preferences, or even ownership of a pet project. We ask God for the grace to desire his will. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. If we are going to become the people of God where he can reside amongst us, we really do have to take steps to check what our own hearts are saying, where it lands, and be able to say, Lord, I let go of this so that your will can be done in my life. It's true for the search and discernment team. We have six people on that team with Brenda and I. And I have to tell you, we all have opinions. But the only opinion that will matter is God's opinion. And that is true for us as a community of faith. We can have all kinds of things come amongst us, and we can have make a, a decision that I'm going to stand on this thing. But is that thing that you're standing on the will of God? Or are you willing to let it go? And say, Lord, what is your will? Because if we can do that, then we can fulfill our calling. We can become a people who live with kingdom principles that guide us. We can be the family of God for each other. 
we can be a place where God can reside amongst us and make his presence real. So I want to encourage you. Uh, I'm going to take and post the prayer of indifference on Realm so that those of you who have access to that, you can grab it there. It is a key element in how we move forward together as a community of faith. Let's take a moment to pray. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you that you are amongst us, that you have called us from all kinds of different places, different roles, different cultures, and yet, Lord, you have invited us to come together and to live in peace. And Lord, that seems almost impossible with all the diversity amongst us. And yet, Lord, our heart's desire is to be indifferent to our personal desires, to honor you and what you want. And so, Lord, enable us to take this prayer of indifference, acknowledging our preferences, letting go of them, so that your preference can dominate our lives and guide us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, and welcome back. Thanks for listening to this Sunday's message. We hope that we've helped you in your spiritual journey and that you're drawing closer to God. At Crosspoint, we gather on Sundays at 10 a.m. in Northeast Edmonton and throughout the week in something we love to call home groups. Home groups are encouraging and transformational communities for people just like you. We believe that the journey of faith is done together. So we hope that you'll connect with us at thecrosspointchurch.ca. Now, let me remind you of who you are. You are the people of God, called by God into his redemptive mission in the world. So be who you are.